into it. I guess we'll just run through what we're going to be talking about today. Um, obviously, a market wrap, which is going to focus on look at FOMC, since that was pretty key. Uh, we've got a question on the Hindenburg research accusing India's Adani group um, of fraud. Uh, and I guess we could talk about just the short seller reports that seem to hit the wires from time to time. Uh, we've got a uh, question on Lever on devaluing its currency by 90% um, on Feb February 1, whether this... Um, whether the collapse of major currencies will have an impact on cryptocurrencies and other precious metals. Uh, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll talk, have a general talk about other things, maybe crypto-related, and we'll see how we go. So, yeah. well, welcome, everyone, to another uh, Trading Insights with FXT. It's the 2nd of February. You've got myself, Tim Muirhead, and Michael Berman, the CEO of FXT. How are you, Michael? Hi, Tim. Um, I'm all good. Um, been a very big, busy morning for us, evening for the US with Chairman Powell having spoken and Fed making interesting interest rate decisions. So I'm sure we're going to talk about that in detail. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it uh, seems to come around uh, faster than uh, once a month. Uh, but uh, it, it really does. Certainly yeah. uh, was a big one. And so look, I guess we'll start off. So um, Last week, we were talking about markets being fairly strong. They've continued to, to push on. We've had, you know, the US dollar index, which has been weakening off. It's like it was sort of, you know, a good 12% uh, in the last sort of four months. And, of course, we had the FOMC, which is the all-important um, interest rate uh, rise and just the talk about, you know, what they're going to be doing in the future. Now, coming into this event, um, we were of the view that given that the unemployment rate was just three and a half percent, that puts a lot of pressure on like the, the wage and services inflation and it powered basically having to say, you know, um, higher for longer uh, and hold up and likely that the market was probably going to, um, to sell off. Now, um, it turns out we were uh, both correct and incorrect, um, correct in our forecast. I mean, it was quite a hawkish me meeting by all accounts. Powell was basically saying the market has it wrong. They're going, they're not going to be cutting rates this year. They're going to be holding them up. They would, would rather err on the side of holding rates higher uh, than, you know, start um, easing off and let inflation come back. So, uh, we were sort of right in that call, but look, the market um, call of positioning of what you will um, just look ended up squeezing much higher. And actually, there's a, there's a really interesting thing behind this, Michael, if you want to hear it, um, mm. just mm. with all about the zero-day options. So, look, one of the big changes in the market recently is um, the use, they call them zero-day options. So, any options yeah. expiring uh, with less than 24 hours. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, what's been happening is that um, as um, look, a couple of years ago before the, the COVID, you know, volatility, the VIX used to get down to 10 and that used to be sort of the bottom of the range. Like right now, if it can step down to sort of 17, 18, that's considered low, which means that the cost of buying options or buying protection is going uh, more expensive. So if you want to insure your portfolio, it's much more expensive. So. What that's doing, it's sort of naturally pushing people to buy shorter term options where uh, there's less time value, there's less, you know, um, uh, and time value is obviously affected by the amount of volatility and all this kind of thing. But long story short, lots and lots of um, short term option buying. So 10 years ago, um, the short term options used to be just 4% of the market. 
today they're now over 44 percent so huge wow. increase now what happens very quickly is if you've got a, a volatility event like fomc um, you've got these very short dated options trading at a premium of an option volatility of like 30 percent that's the implied um, option mm -hmm. volatility and immediately after uh, the meeting that volatility drops precipitously. It might go from you know um, thirty to twenty, for example. Now, mm -hmm. if everyone's buying put options, well, then who's selling it to them? And it turns out that the market makers are, or the US call them the dealers, right? So if they're buying put options, they don't like to take directional risk. So what they do is they they will like that. Sorry, they will be selling their put options to you. They sell put options and they hedge their downside risk by selling stock or selling index futures, depending on what they're doing. Now, when the event happens and suddenly the volatility starts to drop, those market makers to remain neutral are naturally forced to start buying back options, which has been a real driver sort of starting to push these uh, markets higher post these events. And and of course, as these uh, the market pushes higher, the, um, the amount of... Um, hedge that the that market makers have to hold basically almost goes to zero. So they're forced to back buy back all this short stock. And it's it's really becoming a thing lately, which are quite interesting. So it's not uncommon to see uh, markets will push higher, not, not just on a beat these days, but just uh, in line. And uh, I guess even last night where we thought it was quite uh, hawkish, obviously it wasn't, uh, uh, I guess, hawkish enough to spook the markets and we ended up with this massive squeeze. So very interesting. I thought it was fascinating. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting you. No, no, all uh, good. Were you going to carry on with some further commentary or...? or? Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So, sure. Look, so, um, just on that, well, uh, we were expecting um, that, you know, them to talk about higher rates for longer. I mean, one of the interesting things was that um, the US dollar, it's obviously come off a lot. Technically, it looked like it was ready for a bounce. It's now resumed its uh, movement to the downside. So, we're seeing things like um, precious metals break to new highs. The euro is back to nearly 110. That's looking like it wants to go further higher. Uh, we've got, you know, the pound setting up for uh, a move higher. We've had Aussie dollar push higher. Basically everything non-US dollar is uh, moving higher, which uh, uh, I guess is uh, been interesting. And obviously equity markets still very buoyant, uh, still uh, want to go higher. I noticed Michael mm -hmm. Burry yesterday posted a tweet saying sell. And this morning yeah. after this uh, 3% squeeze in the NASDAQ, has not deleted. only deleted, he deleted his accounts, Michael. <laughs> no oh, longer wow. has a Twitter account. I, I, so, I heard he had deleted it, but I didn't know he deleted his account. Rage quit Twitter. He's gone. I'm sure he'll be back. But uh, what, uh, what a yeah. story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, he famously not known for uh, calling, you know, the, uh, the short uh, housing bubble. But he was two years early. So, uh, look, he can, he can definitely be right eventually. So, yeah. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't write him he, off. He, he's definitely not somebody to write off. And, you know, everyone just remembers the fact that he made that call on the short side of the housing market with the um, subprime positions that he, the, the de derivatives that he, this is actually a good segue into what I wanted to comment on. But um, he's not just a one-trick one pony. I've followed his career and I can't remember the stats quite, but, you know, he made a massive call on some of the FANG stocks when they were, you know, he went long. So he's built up a proper hedge fund that has, 
that's certainly more than a one-trick pony. And when they quote him, like they say, famous famous short seller, Mike Burry, um, and they quote that, but he's much more than that. So I don't blame him. Well, he probably should stay away from Twitter and all those those calls. But but Tim, just before I, I do a market wrap using the FXT Navigator, I, I just thought I'd just touch on something regarding your option story that you were just saying there, because something that caught my eye. I don't know if you followed a guy by the name of Mark Spitznagel. Um, Spit, you know, he's with the Universa Fund, which is a famous Black Swan Fund. So he started this with Nassim Taleb, the, the, the famous author of The Black Swan and, and Fooled by Randomness and um, Anti-Fragile uh, anti and all this kind of stuff. So um, they started this hedge fund 15 years ago. They just celebrated their 15th year. And what he does is he loses money almost every day. But when he makes money, he makes a huge amount of money. Anyway, so there's, there, he's 15 year and he manages proper money. We're talking billion dollar plus. So he's not a, but what he does probably very similar to what you were kind of describing no one knows exactly the secret source but but he he um has returned over 15 years 114 percent per annum return so he's knocked it out of the park wow. uh, when when you know he, just to give you an idea so he says you should be putting two percent of your allocation to him to his universal fund and and let's say the rest to the S&P index fund. So if you had done that for the last 15 years, you would have made 9% per annum with your, with your, if you had put all your money in S&P. But if you had done the split with him, 98% S&P, 2% with him, you would have made 11.5%. So it gives it a really nice nice bump. But, but just to give you an idea of how asymmetrical his payoff is, if there's a 20% down month, in the markets, he he will make seven thousand nine hundred percent return. Mm -hmm. So, so he, he buys these discarded out the money options, deep out the money. It would be very deep out the money, and you know probabilistically, he's a you know he's also a mathematician. So these guys have worked out if you do it and if you buy enough of these things and you can survive um, for the payday. You make these outsized returns. I'd say this is something you shouldn't try at home. Um, be very, be very careful. You've got to really know what you're doing. But anyway, um, just quickly to dive into the numbers, just to have a, a quick visual look of what things look like. Um, just to confirm, you can see my screen. And yes. So I mean, year to date, I'll just focus on year to date. Uh, it's five weeks old. Bitcoin, it's all Bitcoin. I mean, this is massive, 44% rally. Um, interest in uh, NASDAQ's up almost 14%. Uh, where's the S&P 500? Up 7.4%. Uh, Gold's up year-to-date over 7%. So, I mean, lots and lots of green. Looking at what's gone down year-to-date, it's, it's the energy stuff, um, diesel, WTI, Brent, um, on the downside. Any other thing I just wanted to highlight on, on this, if I look at the oscillators, uh, as I, I often do here, we don't often get signals of overbought, oversold when we're looking on the daily time frame. So these are rare occurrences. And what's shouting overbought is, <coughs> is the euro. Um, gold's 
looking a little overboard and orange juice. So don't forget your OJ in the morning. Anyway, um, I'll just leave it there for now. Yeah, all right. Uh, now I guess we'll move on to um, the, the, the second question. That's the Hindenburg Research is accusing India's Adani group of fraud. Is it really a scam or a short opportunity? Uh, maybe you can leave this one off, Michael. Yeah, okay. So, so I mean, th this is... Um, I guess th this is a short seller with a slight difference. What they what they do is they they put out a publication. So I know that I've been following this story because I got I, his name is Nate Anderson, the guy behind um, the Hindenburg. Uh, but I think he charges. He, he has like a sub subscription fee for his for his service, but he also is active in the market. So he, there are a couple of others that I follow. Um, they're quite active on on Twitter, where they don't necessarily have positions. One guy's just got plain research. He puts it out. Got no skin in the game. So, you you know, you could take the view. Okay, he doesn't have any skin in the game. He's just got his reputation. So he's going to do the right thing, and he's not going to do anything. It's a manipulative in the marketplace. Whereas Nate Anderson is is kind of out there saying, you know, I've got a position as well. Um, they smashed this guy's the, the Adani. From what I'm from what I'm told, I think that the the group pre last night was down seventy billion dollars. Or uh, yeah, his net wealth was down seventy billion dollars. Uh, this is a this is a company that was valued at two and a half trillion dollars a couple of months ago. So. Down, it's basically down 37% since the report hit the wires, I believe. So, yeah, uh, so it's, huge, yeah. it's huge. And um, Tim, there must be some smoke. Okay, wait, that's a bit unfair. Um, let me say like this. The fact that the market has reacted so vehemently against this guy, Nate Anderson, who I'm sure many people have never even heard of, um, puts out a, a, a detailed report that it's had such a, a powerful effect is there's clearly been some concern. Now, they've just pulled their IP, um, this capital raise. I'm sure you saw that. They, they were doing some capital raise, $2.5 billion, which was fully subscribed, but they decided to pull it today, that they're not going to do it because they thought you know, it was at a price much lower. Last night, it got absolutely smashed. Um, so the, there are a couple of other interesting ones out there, and I'll just touch on like philosophically what, I'm, what some of my thoughts are on, on this. So... Um, Jim Chanos is probably the most famous guy. I think he was the guy who was calling out Enron way way in advance. Um, so he he he's a very he runs a a, a short only fund. Uh, so and he's you know he, he I've read some recent um, reports. I mean he's most he's most his biggest short at the moment is General Electric. He says you know basically it's. You know, it's way overpriced, trading on a 30 times PE, where he thinks it should be at around 14. So he, you know, these guys are not scared to show the, let's say, the downside, and and then they get active and go on media and talk it down. I think it's fantastic, personally. I'll tell you why I say this is when it comes to talking stock up, there's no shortage of these guys. Everyone, there are so many people who are talking the stock to the moon. And they'll come out and cheerlead and say this is the greatest thing, et cetera, et cetera. You know, hydrogen's the future and stock can only go to the moon and all that. And I think it's very important 
to have balancing sides to it. And, you know, when somebody discloses, ah, I'm long the stock, and then they tell you why it's so fantastic, it's, you know, you know hydrogen's going to be the future. Uh, I'm just picking any arbitrary theme. But, but why, why shouldn't somebody be able to say that Herbalife is a pyramid scheme which was Bill Ackman. He he plays both sides, but he was very active on the short side. Um, so I, I I love it personally that people can take both sides. The one thing I'm a little bit concerned about is there's a guy like Mark Cahodas. Um, yeah, I know him. I know him well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I love it. You know, he he's hard punching on Twitter and all this kind of stuff. Uh, when they say if they they say it's fraud. Fraud's a fraud's a big word to use. Pretty, pretty harsh word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're, you're going to really uh, be confident. Yeah, I mean that can be defamatory. As far as I'm concerned, like if you're telling, unless you can put forward the evidence, um, and you know you're prepared to go the whole way and all that, but uh, to say fraud is 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 a big thing. So I don't know what the laws are in the U.S. with. It sounds like you can say anything. These guys are, are, are basically calling it out. So I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit on on. I don't want to say on the fence. I, I don't think it's necessarily be a right to be able to call somebody a fraud without. You, you should be a little bit more careful. Anyway, um, yeah. there, there, there's my view. Yeah. Well, I tell you, um, I guess there's a couple of things. One thing about look. Um, when it comes to short selling, very comfortable to short sell index, uh, index ETFs, uh, currencies, all that kind of thing. But when you're um, shorting stocks, uh, it's, a, it's a whole different ball game. We, we've found uh, over the years through lots of, uh, I guess, um, hard lessons, how hard one lessons is that, uh, you know, shorts, they really have to work quickly and you really got to take profits, lock them in fast to make them work. And I I guess one of the stories I learned uh, very early on from a uh, well-known uh, hedge fund that's uh, out of Bronte in Sydney, yeah, uh, so shout out to John Hampton. Look, he's got a, an incredible story. Um, so what what they say, it's like they'll go and uncover what they believe to be frauds, okay? Now, um, they're much less vocal about them, but what they'll say is if you've got, let's just say hypothetically, you come across a stock and you can prove with 100% it's a fraud, and it's trading $10, right? Mm -hmm. So how much of your portfolio, you know, should you allocate to this thing that you know is true? And the key insight was, well, if it's a fraud at $10, there's nothing to stop this fraud being, you know, pumped to $20, to then $40, to then $80, to then $200 before it makes its round trip to yeah. uh, zero. Now, if you're short a stock at $10, and it goes up, you know, 20 times. Well, you know, if you've got 5% of your portfolio to that trade, well, you've lost everything, right? So what they, they do is they, uh, they only, I think they only allocate about a maximum of 2% to any one stock. And once that gets to say, you know, 5 or 6%, or, and I, look, I don't know the numbers off, they will then be forced to cover. So even though eventually they can be right they can still end up losing money which uh, is is quite different and and just to touch on another thing you said is that you're absolutely right when it comes to stock promotion anyone can come out with a positive article over a stock no one seems to mind but as soon as people come out with negative views then 
you know, short selling always seen as evil. You always get companies that blame the short sellers. No, they never blame the uh, the long short sellers when it's going up, but uh, it's yeah, the evil, evil yeah. short sellers. And uh, we always uh, remember there's an old line that says, he who sells that wasn't isn't must buy it back or go to prison. And what that means is that the market shouldn't be afraid of short sellers. So if someone someone starts shorting your stock, you know, then they are going to be a natural buyer at a time later. So look, if it, if it turns out it's a great stock and the earnings are, then they'll be buying it and maybe they'll be buying it higher. So I think it's all part of a healthy market. Um, yeah. I guess uh, what has come under a little bit of scrutiny in Australia is look the, the local um, people who write you know stock letters or stock promotion. They're 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 governed by a whole bunch of rules. ASIC. Now we're getting these offshore mobs some out of. Um, you know, um, Hong Kong or whatever, uh, activist short sellers, sometimes just putting out a hit piece, uh, covering the stop later. I think that's coming under a bit of scrutiny and the uh, regulators are looking at that. But it appears this Adani piece, very thoroughly researched. I think they've spent two years on it, uh, yeah. several hundred pages, asked a lot of questions. Adani looked like they're really ducking and weaving. So certainly looks like there might be a bit of a fire along with the smoke. So, um, it's interesting. Yeah, it, it, it's it's nice when you see somebody really confident with their research. The um, the Hindenburg guys basically refuted because Adani came back with like a four hundred and thirty page something like that re rebuttal. And absolute. I mean, absolute ridiculous, right? I mean, yeah, if if you're correct. trying to it's just like it's almost like we're guilty. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, but as the Hindenburg guys said didn't address any of the questions and any of, you know, it was basically uh, you picking on a country, India, it was all like obfuscation yeah. and, and, and... And look, for the average person, having got time to read the, you know, 200 odd page uh, initial report, probably haven't got time to read the 400 page rebuttal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, look, you know, so anyway, it's really, it is interesting. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not against short selling. I think it's, uh, yeah. Tim, by, by the way, do you know that you know on on Twitter often on other things they have that TLDR. Have you seen that abbreviation? <laughs> Too long, didn't read. Is that yeah. one? <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 uh, TLDR, the Hindenburg research, and TLDR didn't uh, the, the rebuttal. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, amazingly, these days you can get something like Chat GDP to uh, you feed in the document and then you ask for the summary. So I want yeah. the thousand word summary. And uh, really, know, I didn't is, know that you, yeah, yeah this is where uh, all, AI can the subjects, start uh, helping well. you. Yeah, so fascinating. Uh, let's get on to the next um, question. So, yeah, we had a question just uh, Lebanon uh, devaluing the currency by 90% on February 1st, whether this collapse of uh, currency will have an impact on uh, cryptocurrencies and other precious metals. Um, do you want me to lead off that yeah, one? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anything to add to that. It's pretty new to me. Right. Um, so look, um, I can probably. So look, uh, look. There's been a few countries around the world. And I mean, there's there's probably a lot. You know, like Argentina, Lebanon. They've just been going, or Turkey, been going through serious um, bouts of inflation. Now, um, it, it's. it's Strangely enough, when it, when a country is going through these like hyperinflation episodes, they they seem to sort of follow a pattern. And one of them is like a um, you know they've they've just been letting the country devalue devalue over over the last sort of couple of years. 
I believe right now the the whole Lebanon economy is pretty much running on cash. No one trusts the banking system anymore. Uh, so look, there's a black market for things, and so when they 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 devalue their official currency, it's probably in line with what things are outside of it. But um, until they really get their house in order, sort out their debt, and you know, uh, often they're forced to sort of um, back their currency with something real, and that might be you know assets in the state. Gold has always been a traditional one. Uh, they probably won't get this under control. Look, it's obviously a disaster for uh, you know the local population. You know, but it's always the um, the elderly see their savings wipe out. Young people, you know, it, it, it generally ends in tears. It makes investing. Uh, in, you know, if you're uh, want to be a business or start a business, how can you when you you know prices of things are going up? You just don't know. There's so much uncertainty that uh, it's it's just destroys countries. So I do hope that uh, you know we never end up like this. You know, there's obviously talk that the US they've got the you know, debt of 30 trillion and unfunded liabilities of 100 trillion, and if they don't get their house in order, they're heading the same way. And look. That may be true, and that's why the you know the, the alternatives like Bitcoin and gold certainly are, are probably getting a bit more favour these days. And it certainly seems recently in the last few years, Michael, just the you know this debt situation in the US hasn't happened overnight. Um, it's been sort of brewing you know over decades. And I remember reading about this in you know the two thousands where um, the debt keeps growing. But I think what really set things off is just during COVID. You know. Um, they printed, you know, $4 trillion that's really pushed it out quickly. We're now seeing inflation, which is, I guess, the start of, you know, all these debt crises. So, um, uh, look, it's really, I think it is interesting. I think that, um, you know, this is why people are putting money away into precious metals and into Bitcoin. Certainly um, the governments don't like uh, you putting your money away into these things. There's talk, you know, still talk that they'll try and, Ban all the off ramps to all the on ramps to Bitcoin. They in 1933 they passed the law to confiscate everyone's gold before they revalued it. You know, so um, it's always been a fight. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if that answers the question or if it just talks around the issues. But uh, anyway, what, your what, what, what's interesting is have have you seen anywhere any talk about the debt ceiling it's gone completely silent i mean we we hit the debt ceiling we haven't got a re resolution i don't for one minute think we're going to america's going to default i mean that would be an absolute travesty and and you know they will manage um through through some bipartisanship negotiation come up with a plan however it it is it is ridiculous how this thing just grows and grows and no one takes any responsibility to bring in the debt situation down. And it, it frankly, to me, it's gone poor. It's, it's, in fact, Tom Piketty's book, where, uh, no, not, not his book, uh, Reinhardt and Rogoff, this time is different. You know, I, I think it will, it will prove itself over the fullness of time that when you get to a level of debt, like we currently see, it's, it's erosive and it will corrosive as well. It's all, it's all, it's bad. But just to, just to touch on something, you never, you know, at the moment you hear she, the Chinese leader speak about, he needs more consumption from uh, there, you know, to, to get China's economy going, he needs the consumer, the, the, the Chinese population to be more of a consumer. And, 
you know, call me old-fashioned and idealist, but this is the exactly the same kind of irresponsible behavior that the U.S. has preached for so many years. That, you know, when I studied economics, to generate productive growth, you need savings. Savings are required to, you take savings and you invest that in productive, in infrastructure, stuff that you get a return on. And you get no return on buying a Gucci bag other than maybe feeling cool um, and better than your friends or, or, or attracting some eyeballs. But there's nothing long lasting. There's, the utility on that for me is very fleeting. So, you know, you, you go and buy a fishing rod and you, you become a fisherman and you feed your family. That's fantastic. And, and I don't like the consumerism that has been preached for so long. Um, and, and, and frankly, what to enhance this, they stimulate it with, with giving away money for free. So they allow people to get into hock and hock being in debt. And, and I'm just thinking about, I don't know the numbers offhand yet, but if you think about all, all that debt that has been generated recently, you know, a lot of it was generated at close to 0%, let's add half a percent. Let's say zero percent. Actually, it's be, be most of that now is is costing four percent, or or I don't know what the because most of it's short in duration. And yeah, it's, it's actually about seventy percent of the US debt is um, under three years. I believe. Okay. So. so there you go. So so let's say all that debt that has been created, the trillions of debt that's been created in the last little while. In fact, not just the last little while, the lo- over the whole while because it just keeps being rolled. Um, is now costing in the order of three to four percent. So that's got to come from somewhere. And you know, if you're trying to balance, if you're a family trying to balance the budget every month, you know, if you've got to pay a big chunk towards interest, then you've got less to spend on other things. The last thing you should be encouraging is consum- like consumerism, and that you should be telling people pay off your debt and stop spending so much on unnecessary. You don't need another flat screen TV. And all this. So, whoever's listening to this probably hates me for my responsible um, parenting. But, but um, I'm trying to bring some fiscal discipline here. It's just nonsense, in my opinion. So, um, yeah, I don't believe in modern monetary theory where you can spend unlimited amounts and there's no impact and all this kind of stuff. Unproductive, uh, unfettered, um, where you don't control, uh, if you just print in money. It's going to be spent badly, bottom line. Yeah, and look, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, unproductive debt, essentially. When you print money, give it to people to stay home so they don't work, um, you know, what kind of return are you going to get on that? Nothing. And look, uh, you know, they really overcooked it. They printed too much. They've been doing it for so long without any negative consequences. Well, they finally got inflation. Uh, You know, they initially denied it, stuck their head in the sand, said it was transitory said it wasn't an issue, a bit like when COVID was hitting the borders in the US, you know, they said it was nothing to worry about, it's going to go away shortly, and like, it just always seems to be that problems just have to just smack them in the face before they turn around and focus on them, and now, um, look, you know, now they're finally in a situation where inflation's here, and uh, look, you know, I mean, the the sceptical me says that's probably been their plan all along, you know, if they can keep inflation up at, you know, between you know, four or six percent, and you, it slowly inflates away their their debts. And uh, in you know, it's uh, mm. you either print or uh, you know. Anyway, I mean, it's. No, I, think uh, you, I think you and I both 
the corollary of that is buy buy some gold and Bitcoin, I guess. But, yeah. but that, that, that comes with its own set of risks, and and certainly Bitcoin crypto is is volatile. So if yeah, you can yeah. go up forty four percent in a mu- in a month or so, um, we know that it can go down that as well. So you know, be very prepared. Uh, I didn't look. In fact, what is I'll tell you now what the volatility of Bitcoin is. My navigator says the annualized volatility is thirty-seven percent. Must be more than that, but uh, I think yeah, we, we, we I think it's uh, we looked at it before. Gold's around fifteen, and Bitcoin around a hundred. So you know, um, yeah. just when it comes to position sizing, you know, if you you're um, you, you can have a, a lot more gold than Bitcoin on a in a, a volatility yeah. adjusted basis. So correct, that, correct. That's it. Anyway. Uh, anyway, look, um, I guess we've hit time, so maybe that's a good place to wrap this up, Michael. It's um, yeah. certainly uh, been another interesting one. 100%. Time's flown by. Um, so, yeah, I guess, look, we'll encourage everyone to send in their questions. We really enjoyed your comments. Uh, and this is another Trading Insights with FFT. Uh, you got myself, Tim Newerhead, and Michael Berman. So thanks very much, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. Good luck in the markets. Yes, indeed. Thank you, guys. Cheers then. Bye-bye.